Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts podcast, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. You may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalon Johnson. My guest today is Tosin Akindeli. Tosin is a licensed therapist who takes a trauma-focused approach that works to trauma-focused approach that works to understand how the experience of trauma impacts an individual's mental health, behavior, and overall well-being. So, Tosin, welcome to the show. Thank you for being my guest. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. So, uh, I gave. Please- a- I gave a brief introduction, yeah. so what I wanted to do was allow you to to go ahead and, and tell a little bit about yourself so the audience can get to know you. Sure, absolutely. So like Jay said, my name is Tosin Akindeli. I am a licensed social worker, licensed therapist in um, New York. So I see clients in New York. <clears throat> um, I am a trauma therapist, so my focus is on trauma. So any kind of trauma that you may be experiencing, that's where I um, that's where I make the most impact. I also, I'm also a uh, a therapist. I work with Men Healing, this organization called Men Healing. And what we do is we provide services, um, counseling. We do groups for male identified survivors of sexual abuse, which is a underserved population that you hardly ever hear about when we talk about trauma. Um, I am also a school social worker, so I work with elementary school kids from pre-K to fifth grade. And last but not least, well, two more things. <laughs> One, another thing is that I am also a, I am a therapist, so I see clients, I see, I see male, I see children, I see women, but I focus on male clients, black men, because that's that's what I am. So I see black men, and we talk, you know, a lot about a lot of traumas and all kinds of things that we, I'm sure, we'll get into on this topic. And last but not least, I am an author as well. Um, last year, I published a book. The boys got to growth mindset, and that's focused directly on boys and just helping them grow a growth mindset and, you know, being capable leaders, being able to advocate for themselves, being able to ask for help and just being able to push intrinsic thoughts out of their minds and replace it with more positive thoughts. So thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The pleasure is all mine. I remember when we spoke on the phone Mm -hmm. and... um our conversation was dynamic, bro. And I, I said, man, I can't wait for this one. It's going to be a banger. Mm-hmm. I told you, the minute you hit me up and you asked me to do this, what was the first thing I said? I'm happy to talk uh-huh. about mental health. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I said, that's, and that's so real. <clears throat> Anywhere that I'm asked to talk about mental health, I am open to doing it because our community needs it. This is something that we've just started to talk about privately, let alone publicly. So... Any way I can get my face and my legs into, I'm there. Let's talk. Gotcha. Um, so you work with black men who've experienced sexual assault, sexual abuse, and other sexual trauma as a child or as an adult. Yes. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Sure. So what we do at Men Healing is we do retreats. So <clears throat> we'll have three, four day retreats. And we, the focus, there's two focuses when we work with these men at these retreats. It, one is to build community because once you've experienced that level of trauma, the first thing that happens is you become a recluse. Like, right, this is something that you feel only happens to you or has only happened to you. And it's something that you may not feel comfortable even thinking about or talking about. So the community shrinks around you and you kind of go into a closet on your own. Like, you know, this is just something you feel like you can only deal with on your own. So helping um, clients, ha- helping survivors, we call them survivors, helping survivors um, come out into a community and know that there are other people who have experienced similar um, traumas as they is one. And then the second part of the um, of what we try to do is just to get them more comfortable with themselves, right? Start to rebuild self-love and self-identity because that's a big part of you is lost when you experience that level of trauma and, you're on, and you haven't dealt with it and it continues to manifest and grow in so many different ways. Gotcha. Um, we, as we were speaking earlier, before we started recording, you said that today was an emotional day for you. And I said, well, yes. you know, can you tell me about that? And you said, well, let, well let's yeah. wait for the pod. So, yeah. so 
let me let me give you a backstory. Um, I started working in schools. My first year in schools, I was working at a high school. And my first official day at the high school, I was replacing a social worker who was pregnant and going to maternity leave. So this is my very first day working in a school period as a social worker. First day, um, one of our students is murdered overnight with, with his family. First day on the job. So that was, that was just, I don't even have words for that, that level of trauma on my, like just me in a, in a school full of kids who have known each other since elementary school. So like, you know, this is, this is family. This is kids that they've grown up together. The families know each other as a community. I'm going to use that word community a lot during our conversation. So it was a community. So me stepping in and having to help kind of guide and be the outside voice who is now inside experiencing this trauma with these people, with, you know, with these children, that, that was one. So back, fast forward to today. So now I'm working at an elementary school and one of our students has been, you know, his sister has been dealing with some form of cancer. So today, you know, we get a call and we, and we, and, and mom tells us that the child is, you know, there's nothing else that they can do that he, you know, that she is not going to make it. So now I'm talking with my student and he wants to share the news with his, you know, with, with the rest of his grade. So people know what's happening and just, just thinking about that and having to guide a, 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 fourth, a fifth grader through something like that. It's just like, man, that's a lot. Like, and I can't even imagine what he's going through, you know, watching his sister, you know, slowly deteriorate. It's, it's just, it's a lot going on. And I, and I think about our kids because we often don't give them the space to tell us what's happening or to express different types of feelings. Sometimes we want to rush through emotions. So like, so now I'm thinking about the kids that we had to break this news to that they're one of their best friends, sister is potentially is really ill with cancer and like so this kid goes home and i'm hoping that the space is provided for this kid to talk about the news that he he or she was shared with today you understand what i'm saying right yeah that makes sense. And that, that's heavy that's heavy especially um for a fifth grader like you said to, to have to do that and mm-hmm. then since they've been together for so long the the community and the family that you spoke about is it's heavy for everybody all of them yeah, on so many different levels. And, you know, when you have students on, on different levels as well in regards to mental capacity, in regards to maturity, in regards to how the relationship they have with the student, it's a lot of different layers of different approaches that you have to think about. That's just, and that's just, you know, that's just my going to school, going to work every day and building relationships with these kids and their families. It's like, man. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, brother. Um, so I wanted to to kind of get into some of the questions that I had for you, um, so that we can get into you know the the meat and potatoes of the of the interview, so to speak. Um, so so building off of what you do, right. I have a, a three part question for you, and okay. that is when black males are sexually abused at a young age. How does that manifest in adulthood? Mm-hmm. How does it affect their psyche? Mm-hmm. And how does it affect their ability to have healthy relationships in the future? Okay. So we'll start so, with one. How does, it, how, does, how does that manifest in adulthood? Okay. So I know you know a lot of this stuff too. So let's, let's talk about it. What, do you, what, do you, what would you think would be one of the first few signs of something like that when you, become, when you cross over into adulthood? Because it, it will um, manifest in so many different ways. I would think it would it would show as an inability to be close or intimate with somebody, mm-hmm. right? Or stand and, off. And, and, so and it's speak. not going to be right. And it's not going to be just romantic relationships, right? Because for 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 authentic friendship to prosper, you have to be there. Has to be a level of vulnerability displayed on both ends of the friendship. Right. So which means that I have to be able to see you sometimes struggling and help you for you for our friendship to continue to prosper for both of us. And if you are unable to show that level of vulnerability, then a a lot of your relationships are going to suffer, not just romantic ones. 
right? So that's one. And just poor communication and inability to communicate what you want, right? Sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's easy for people to say what they don't want, but it's like, it's a different level of, of introspection when you can say what you do want. Like, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good, but this does. I, I like when you say certain things to me. I like when you talk to me in a certain manner, right? I like when you give me a level of respect, a level of space when I ask for it. Being able to identify the things that you need, that you want, that make you go, it's just as important as saying the things that you don't like because people are not mind readers and we often lose that level of communication. So that's one big thing that's, that's, um, that's, that's at a deficit as you get older. What is that? Think, How does that feel? How does that sound? No, no, no. That 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 sounds right. And I think that a lot of times we we think that saying what we don't want automatically will translate into what we want. But there's a huge difference between mm-hmm. the two. So yeah. um, losing that voice on on being able to say what you do want is is big. It's important to be able to say I don't want this, but also I do want this. So I can see how that can can play a role in, in adulthood. Mm-hmm. And then one of the biggest things would be just self-love and and self-esteem. Because when something that traumatic happens to you at a certain age, a part of you, a part of your psyche is stuck at that age because there's so many questions. There's so many questions that that goes through your mind, and those and you don't ever get those answers because, as far as the black household and the black community goes, that's not something that is spoken about, right? Nobody talked about sexual assault. Nobody talked about inappropriate relationships within the family dynamics. That's not something that is allowed to be spoken about historically. So that passes on. That becomes generational trauma, and we could talk about generational trauma, you know, later on. But that becomes generational trauma. And those that trauma is never fulfilled. You never get the answer for that, and you're stuck in that phase of your life. So if you can't love, if you don't love yourself as a child, it's very hard to love the person that you grow up to be and you continue to be because there's so many questions that need to be answered. And you know, you not loving yourself manifests in so many different ways when you get older because nothing is good enough because you don't know what's good enough. You don't know what you like. You don't know what you don't like right there's a lot of questions and you know and if you don't know yourself then how is somebody going to be able to make you happy right how are relationships going to prosper it's all interconnected yeah i agree and also um it if you don't know yourself like you said and you you can't then translate that into allowing someone else to know you it's almost like you're chasing the wind and you're just going to keep going through cycle after cycle after partner after partner because there is no Mm -hmm. definite this is what i need or this is who i am this is what i want because you don't know right you're hoping someone else knows and they can tell you absolutely and we're only talking about relationships here but let's look at your professional life right we can talk about potentially being at risk for imposter syndrome and imposter syndrome is 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 having the skills and the talent to be somewhere, but doubting yourself when you look around and you realize that you one may be the only person that look like you there, right? You may be the only person of a certain age, and then all the doubt and creeps and all the doubt creeps in, and you start to doubt yourself and your ability or your um or your credentials to be in a certain space. That goes. That's all of that is connected to your self esteem and the way you see yourself and the way you you appreciate yourself. So let's say we get to a point where we realize that these things um, are happening right. and that we do need help, right? So, so now we, we start the difficult job of looking for someone to talk to, a coach, a therapist, mm-hmm. what have you. Um, how important is relatability when it comes to finding a therapist to work with for someone in the black community and and the reason why i asked that is because this is what you do you help black yeah. males so you you would you would be the one to ask about that relatability for black males because we spoke about that when we were mm-hmm. talking earlier too Absolutely. so as, as far as a trust thing yeah it's 
so yesterday I did a um we went into a barbershop. Like I'm starting we're starting to do this outreach, community outreach where we go into barbershops and we start to um equip the barbers with the proper tools to talk to the to um to their clients when they start to, you know, express stressors and traumas to them because things like that happen in barbershops. That's our safe space for black men. We go there and we talk about all kinds of things. Relationship things, household things, family things, professional. We talk about everything at the barbershop. So the reason why I say that is because as soon as I walked into that barbershop yesterday, I felt comfortable because I looked around and I saw men that looked like me. Right? And and that is something that you can't you can't you can't pay for for that. You can't fake that and you can't pay for that. So when I talk to clients, the first thing that they know is that this person sitting across from me shares a lot of the same traumas I share. Because why? Because we're both black. We're both people of color. He'll understand. Relatability is extremely important because you want to. You, you need to know that the person that you're being vulnerable with will understand. Right? Imagine having to explain your traumas, your tra- your traumas to somebody who has no idea that they even exist, that that level of trauma even exists, because that's so foreign to them. So, and the first thing when I say to my clients when they first come in is, look, this is your space. I'm never going to judge you. I am going to take as we're going to go as fast or as slow as you need to go. And this will, this space will be sacred to you. You can come in here once a week, once every two weeks. You can talk about whatever you like to talk about. You can say nothing. You can sit here and cry or you can sit here and talk about sports. But this will always be your safe space. And I understand that you may need it. And for different different situations each week, as long as you know that this safe this space is yours, then we can, you know, we can continue to grow together. And just being able to say that to another black man, hearing that from another black man is is just like, okay, cool. All right, we can we okay, I understand. You know that I've I may have had a bad week, right? If we lost a celebrity that we both kind of uh um culturally attached to, then we both can look at each other and be like, Yeah, Kobe died. And we'll just sit here and just nod our heads for a while. And that it makes sense. You, should, you know what I'm saying? It's extremely mm-hmm. important. Wow. Um I, I felt that as you were as you were saying that because um I remember when we when we were talking and and I said, you know, having relatability is a big thing and you you brought it back to trust. You said, you know, how how could you feel comfortable in a space with someone who all your life you you've known as a person who mm-hmm. followed you around in the in the department store because they yeah. thought you were going to steal something, you know? So even if you get mm-hmm. to a point where you want help, you you may not be able to open up to someone who who you can't relate to or doesn't look like you. Absolutely. A lot of a lot of the traumas that black people have endured have come from people that look a certain way. So it can be extremely triggering to have to unpack certain traumas with somebody that looks like somebody who's giving those traumas to you to begin with. That's is is it can really be that simple. Mm-hmm. You, it's, it's hard to build trust with, with when you're in a situation like that, and that's you know it's unfair. It can it can be unfair to the clinician, but it's also part of the process for the client. It's real. Okay, so question, right? Yeah. We we speak about these things that impact us as a community and as people of color as a whole. But a lot of times we don't find the validation for it in the world. So a question is, is racial trauma real? Is that a real question? I'm asking because I want you to explain it in a way that would <laughs> well would allow someone who may not understand it mm-hmm. or or for people who experience it but but can't explain it or or can't articulate it in a way that they would be able to say okay this is what I'm experiencing so now they have they have something that they can say here set it in someone's lap and say this is what I'm talking about so let's talk about this let's break this down are you familiar with the term um generational trauma mm-hmm. 
what do you what do you when you hear that what do you think of generational trauma excuse me i think of trauma that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation that's never been processed because mm-hmm. there was never a way or tools given for our mm-hmm. ancestors to be able to process it so it was just handed down and to us. What, what would you what would you think the first form of that that would come to your mind first form form of generational trauma what would you think what would you say slavery slavery and i'm much to me when i hear slavery slavery and i hear generational trauma i'm initially i'm immediately thinking about racial racial trauma for me those are hand in hand it's it's extremely real extremely real anytime something happens and we and we and we immediately get the thought that was a black guy, wasn't he? Or oh, that guy was white. Or oh, that's racial tra- trauma. That's that's is that's that's how it's that's that's how we we show that's how we show it because we have the feeling when something happens is race related, and a lot of the times we are right. And even when we're not right, it's just having that that like that twitch. It's that's that's trauma. <laughs> it's okay so that that's that's what i was wanting you to expound on a bit because even if it may not be something that is actually happening happening yeah just that thought or mm-hmm. just that you know that yeah. in itself is trauma mm-hmm. absolutely so we may not be able to identify that and put a name to that so that's yeah. that's where i was going with this right and and it doesn't and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that has happened to you for you to be traumatized by it right you know you you're witnessing it you know it can happen to you all of that makes it traumatic right okay so what are some ways racial trauma can make someone feel the need to be something different than who they really are this this is a loaded question. My so my initial thought was I'm thinking about imposter syndrome once again. I'm also worried that the the thought of say the question one more time, please. What are some ways racial trauma can make someone feel the need to be something different than who mm-hmm. they really are? Racial trauma can manifest in in self in self-hate self-hatred lack of self-love and if you're dealing with something like that and you're and you're living in a in a society that tells you that you are an other and you're not the most important or you're not as important as somebody else or some other group of people you may feel the need to mimic what certain groups of people are doing that doesn't fit what you culturally should be doing and that's part of how it can manifest you just not not being able to accept yourself as a as a black hispanic whatever culture culture or race you are other than white and that makes it difficult for you to, to to be able to succeed in different spaces because you're unsure of yourself and you're trying to be somebody that you aren't um i get a lot of times People say, well, you know, I can act black, but I can't act black, black when I go there mm-hmm. or when I do this. Mm-hmm. And that is self-betrayal because you think so. You have to you have to you have to be something or somebody different mm. than who you would be when you're comfortable in order to fit in in a, in a different space. Mm-hmm. Can I push back on that a little bit? Sure. When you're with your homeboys. Do you act the same way as when you're with? Are you married? Mm-hmm. When, when you're with your wife and her her parents, do you speak the same I mean, exact way? To to a certain extent, and and okay, so so when I when I mean you have to be or or do something different, I mean mm-hmm. you 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 do it in a manner that makes other people happy, so that you can succeed or so okay. that you can you know mm-hmm. i i, I you see what you're saying i see what you're saying in, so you, know you don't so you don't stand not, out too much right not that not that you wouldn't 
speak differently, you know, because I'm not mm-hmm. gonna I'm not gonna talk about basketball or, or rap or Jay-Z or you know, things like that when mm-hmm. I'm around my wife's people or her parents or what have you. But if I was at work, I would do that if I knew that doing it wouldn't have me looked at in a negative light. Okay. See what I'm saying? Is that self-preservation? Is that what it sounds like? Yeah. That's a survival skill. And that's living in trauma every single day. But it's also a skill that you develop. Because I imagine, and I've been in spaces where, okay, let me, all right, I don't feel like dealing with this. So let me kind of, let me chill out is how I say it, right? Let me calm down. Let me chill out. And for me, that's like, oh, thank God. I'm out of here. It's a great day. No issues. As opposed to let me be my full self and potentially have to clash with with him and her or them over there. So I I I, I see it, I can see exactly what you're saying, but a lot of the time we call it code switching. A lot of the time when you code switch, you're doing it because you're walking into a different space and it requires a, a different level of um, professional etiquette. And the way you talk on the street and the way we talk at home may not fit that criteria. It's, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're losing ourselves or we're not being our full selves. It just, it's just, maybe it's just a, a time and a place. But I, I definitely see what you're saying, right? You can't be your full self at work every day because there's a lot of white, white coworkers and you may stand out too much and they must start asking you questions and doing all of this stuff. It makes you uncomfortable. I get that. Code switching is basically putting up a, a slight facade, right? Like a little filter on who you are. And of course, you can't code switch forever. You can't stick to it because it's called switching. It runs out. You have a battery. So the question should be, how do we make spaces safe enough for black people to not feel like they need to code switch? <laughs> that's that's great. That, that's what it is. And I agree. It's, I agree. It's, it's crazy because I see my partner... She's in corporate, right? She deals with all of these big companies and she works in these companies and I can just see, and she doesn't, she works from home and I can just see the stress of, and, and it's always communication wise. Like, why does this person feel like they can say these things? Why, it's just like, why? And when I go on these business trips, I'm, I always feel like another, right? The way they talk, it's almost like, first of all, you're a woman, boom, you're a black woman, it's 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 just so many different things and and you just see her experience it it sucks it's terrible and it's real <laughs> right so I, I think that you brought it right back to initially what i was what i was saying so there is code switching where you have to kind of dial it back a little bit and then there's not being able to be authentic yeah yeah right Right, and I think the experience you spoke about with your partner, mm-hmm. where she has to, you know, being a black woman and, and feeling like an other, that is mm-hmm. that is it. That's, that's the yes. core of it. That, that's exactly what it is. Okay. Um, next question. A lot of our parents and grandparents grew up during the civil rights movements and had to deal with a lot of traumatic events. What effect did that have on the generations that followed? Oof. My goodness. Where do we even start? Can you start this, Jay? <laughs> um, Man. I feel like the coping mechanisms that, mm-hmm. that had to be developed, um, they, they were for sure disempowered in the real world. Mm-hmm. Right? So the person you have to be when you're not at home gets you're literally you're literally not a person mm-hmm. back in those days right so now you come home and all the stress yeah. and all of the trauma that you had to deal with is now unloaded in the safe space for your family yeah. right but then also no one wants to address the fact that you're coming home and being super disrespectful you're mm-hmm. drinking too much you know mm-hmm. your lifestyle doesn't reflect what it should be but the reason why is because of what you have to deal with in the real world, right? So now mm-hmm. that is put into a, a suitcase and just passed down, yeah. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, so we teach our kids a lot of things. 
a lot of things, a lot of things are lessons that starts from home, right? Like, like being able to communicate, being able to use your words. We say this to our kids all the time, use your words. How do you feel? What do you want? And those skills, it starts so little, but you're building identity, right? You're building self-awareness and you're, bu- you're building the ability to um, advocate for yourself. When you don't have that growing up and you don't know how to cope, Right. If you don't know what you need and you can't access what you need, you're going to struggle with finding um, proper coping mechanisms. So you resort to the drinking, to the drugs or whatever your vice may be. And then instead of every now and then, it, be- it becomes your crutch. And if you start using a negative coping mechanism as your crutch, then you never develop the skills, the, the skills and the ability to develop new effective coping mechanisms. All of that is going gonna, is gonna to manifest into you not being able to sustain any, any level of integrity in any relationship that you have because you don't have any proper coping skills. And then when you're in the house, how are you projecting your anger and your whatever it is that you're intaking from outside, how are you projecting that onto your family, right? Are you, are you ignoring the kids? Are the kids unable to come home and talk? Because you're so bent out of shape about your life and you're drinking, right? Or you're abusive, mentally abusive. You, you could be an absentee father or mother and be physically in the home as well. So there's so many different ways that this, this trauma can pass on from generation to generation. But I, I definitely think the biggest thing that uh, us as people of color, we've started to do this now. I think our generation... I started it, and then the generation after us is really propelling it, is talking about mental illness. Like, the conversation is happening. I've done so many podcasts. People are asking me so many questions. People that look like you and I are coming to sessions weekly, paying money out of their own pockets to come talk about their mental health. Like, the conversation is happening, which is amazing because you can't deal with trauma if you can't talk about it, if you can't address it. So we've the work has started to get done. We just have to continue it. But the generation before us, they didn't have the tools. And a lot of them didn't believe the stuff that they were dealing with had a name. It was just, oh, it's life. Life is supposed life is not supposed to kick your ass. And but it takes so you you kind you have to know better to kind of accept that. And it's starting the shift is happening. What do you think? I think that for what they had and the limited awareness associated with what they were going through, they did a hell of a job because, um, look at us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, I think they passed us the torch the best way they knew how, and it's our job now to, to pay that money out of our own pocket Mm -hmm. to talk about mental health and to, you know, do the work, to see that their legacy, you know, has a future. Absolutely. Absolutely. This <clears throat> and this is and what we're doing here, even just having this conversation, is helping break generational curses. Right? Like the stuff that we're talking about, if somebody's at home listening to this podcast and has no idea that there's a community of black men who have who have been sexually assaulted but continue to live their utmost successful lives and love themselves and and have real relationships, that's going to help somebody. I agree. Um, So the stigma that is around black mental health, um, why do you think it was such a big thing? What do you mean such a big thing? In the sense that Okay, black people would not like the generation that's right now that's talking about it and doing the work. Mm-hmm. Why was it such a big thing for the generations prior mm-hmm. to us to be able to say, "Listen, you know, my my mental health is a thing." Okay, so let me. I think you're. Are you are you saying like what kind of why is it why was it so important for the prior generation to kick start the conversation about mental health for our generation now? No, no, no. Why were they so opposed? Oh, so to opposed. It? 
Well, you just said that they did the best they could with what they had. I don't know if they were opposed to it. And also, so it can, it can be so many different answers. It doesn't have to be one answer. Many things can be true at once. What you said can absolutely be true. But then we're also looking at society telling you, society has always told black men to shut up, right? Society has always told us that we were stronger than the average person. Like we can, we can take so much on. Black women, you're stronger than anybody. You can, you can, you don't feel pain. Society tells you that. So when you do feel pain, society says, oh, that's just a minor scratch. Walk it off. Or you're fine. It's just a little blood. Hence, you know, we can relate that to the normal of mortalities in, for black women in hospitals when they're giving birth. They're not being believed that they're in pain. So society tells you that your, your problems are not real. You start to tell yourself, my problems are not real. Before you know it, your problems are times 10, right? Now you've gotten to a point where you may not be able to receive the help that you need because society told you you didn't need it, but you did need it. So a, a lot of that stuff, and, you know, we say that, and then we also have um, parents, grandparents who had so much stuff that they were dealing with that they didn't even know had a name or even know what to do with it. And it's just like every day is a constant battle within yourself and your demons in your head. And just be present for the kids. So there's not going to be any space to say, hey, what are you dealing with? What's going on with you at school? Who are your friends? Who are you talking to? What are you doing? That is not there because they feel like I'm present. And that's it. So there's a lot of different factors. No, I think you hit the nail right on the head, honestly. Um, because, and, and I can relate so much to what you said that just being present well you got a roof over your head you got something to eat mm -hmm. you got shoes on your feet that was everything yeah but also we were suffering emotionally you know what i'm saying but Where there was that? no name there, yeah. right exactly 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 for a long time <clears throat> for a long time a lot of our parents thought it was okay to just be there physically and uh, and a lot of them and it wasn't just the men Right when something traumatic happens to the woman in our in our family, historically they shut down. And the same, like the same thing that the men do, they shut down. So it's it happens. It's it's been it's a generational thing. It's just so much more. The spotlight is just so much more on the men because a lot of men suffer in silence. They don't even talk amongst each other about their traumas. Women, for the you know, like for the most part, at least talk to each other, and they know when something is wrong. Big question. Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. What does that mean and why does it even need to be said? And and just needs it needs to be said because evidently we have to remind the world that we are people too. Um, so we we need to remind the world that we are people too. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are black men taught to feel about being emotional? That it's a weakness. That it slows you down. That it doesn't help you do anything. It's just like it's a waste of emotion. Don't bother with that part of your of yourself. That's that's pretty much what we're taught, and we're taught that as kids growing up. Valid, validated as adults, young adults, and it just continues. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, anytime in a in and amongst a group of my friends growing up, um, or at the park playing ball, wherever you know, you were you were soft if you were mm -hmm. emotional or, you know, if you were in tune with your emotions, like nobody had time for that. And so I think it just made it more difficult for us to ever be in a position to where we could um, get to that place of feeling safe or, or being in mm -hmm. touch with our, you know, our, our inner self or, or getting to a point of healing because we were, we were constantly taught that doing those things, wasn't important or that um if you were that person 
you were somehow at a deficit from everyone else who was just hard and strong. Mm -hmm. And I mean, a lot of it is rooted in misogyny too, right? Because a lot of the things that was said about, about, about um, expressing emotion was attributed to being a girl or being feminine. Right. So that's like 100%. another layer of things that we have to peel back. It's okay to have emotion and it's okay to be a woman <laughs> and it's okay for a woman to have emotion and you as a man have an emotion doesn't mean that you're a woman or doesn't mean you're not a strong man at the same time. Agreed. Agreed. Um, okay. What are some ways that underlying emotional weaknesses can manifest themselves? Oh, like basically everything we said earlier is a lot of, your underlying emotional um, stresses are going to manifest when you're in relationships with people, any kind of relationship, because you're unable to give your full self and you're unable to receive from others. So all of that is going to manifest when you're in relationships, any kind of relationship. And when you're in a professional space, when you're, when you're building something, anytime you're working with a group of people that whatever that whatever it is that deficit that you're dealing with, whatever it is that you're working with is going to manifest in that, in those relationships. You're not going to be able to give yourself a hundred, 150% and you're not going to be able to receive it as well. Spot on again. Um, how can not having a positive male figure growing up influence someone's development? Yeah. How can that it's different ways we can go with this, right? But I just, I just, the most obvious to me would just be maybe not having access to a positive um, role model, male role model at arm's reach. And for you to want to be something or be somebody, it helps to see somebody that looks like you being that person or that example of a person, right? And so that's the base for me. That's the immediately where my mind goes to is that if all the men that I see or that I'm close to are either absent or doing stuff that doesn't make me want to be a successful young man, then that's what's going to help. That's what I'm seeing. And that manifests in different ways as well. Mm. You know, um, I think I, I agree with that. And I think that a lot of times as, um, you know, as a young black male, that may be why you look to uh, rappers, yeah. to to sports figures and and what, whatever have you, because you, you may not have that positive mm -hmm. black role model, you know, like, like you said, within arm's reach. Right. And and that's why. When they when they when you hear the thing woman can't raise um a, a man, I kind of cringe at that because salute to our our um only moms for the things that they've done and the it's 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 being a single parent is not an easy task, right? But the issue with what they should be saying is that a man should see a positive role model a positive male role model in his life in any capacity that he has access to, that he can touch and he can talk to, because that tells you that it's, that's an attainable goal. If all you see is successful women, then you're gonna, a part of you is going to think that either that's not in the cards for you, or you have to do, you have to go in a different route to be successful. And that's not necessarily true. That's not true at all. I agree with that. And also, like you said, um, to be a single parent, especially a woman raising young black men mm -hmm. is difficult. So for yeah. the women that are doing it and have done it, 100% salute to them because um, it takes a lot to, to do that, especially in today's society with, with all the you know obstacles that we face and, and the barriers that we have to break through. Um. How difficult is it to be the cycle breaker in 
dysfunctional family systems? It's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to be the cycle breaker in a dysfunctional family cycle because if you're living in chaos and you're standing still, chaos is still happening around you, you're not really clear of it, right? You can better yourself, but all, all of those skills that you're learning, you're unable to practice because you're living in chaos. And it's interesting you bring this question up because I tell couples that come to me for counseling the same thing. Both of you need to be in individual counseling or have done some level of individual counseling before you come to, to couples counseling. Because what's the purpose of one of you coming to individual counseling and your partner not, and you're taking the skills that you're learning back home to a partner who doesn't know those skills, doesn't have the understanding of what those skills mean or how to utilize those skills. You're just wasting money and time. Both of you need to be in individual counseling where you're working on your own things. So when you come together, you both know how to utilize your coping skills and you both know how to effectively communicate. It's extremely important for you to not be in chaos as you're working to get out of chaos. If that's the form of, that's the, the, the um, evolution of the question. Um, okay. So what if, let's say, for instance, um, there's been three or four generations of mm-hmm. dysfunction and, and, a family system and now the last generation sees it mm-hmm. and they want no part of it they want to be healthy and uh-huh. they want to do things that will change and put an end to these cycles right mm-hmm. what type of pushback may they get from their elders oh all kinds of pushback right because i'm i'm i imagine if you're saying I'm not partaking in anything that's been causing us generational traumas that you all won't address. You're going to be doing something starkly different from what everybody has been doing. So you're going to meet resistance, right? You're not, this is not going to be a moderate shift in a tone. This is going to be a 180. If you're, if you're breaking generational curses or generational trauma, because you just decided that you're no longer doing it. Things are going to change and you're going to meet a lot of pushback. You may end up not being as close to the family as you once was. The community may not feel the same. What are some ways that the cycle breaker Mm -hmm. um, or or what are some some coping skills or some some encouragement that, that that person can get so they can feel like, man, you know, I'm I don't want to be the black sheep. Or I don't want to be out mm-hmm. from the family. Like, you know, what, what type of encouragement would you give to that person? I think the first thing I would say is make sure you're, you're doing this for the right reason. And the right reason is you and the future generations to come, right? Which means that there's a very high possibility that your family, the generation prior to you, may not want to have anything to do with you anymore. And that's something that it may be an extreme thought, but that's something that we have to process and prepare for because that can be, that can be, that can happen. And if that happens, are you going to say, okay, hold on, stop. I want my family back. Let somebody else carry them on this fight. Or are you going to say, no, I've had enough of this trauma and and all of this, and I'm ready to make a change for me and the future generations. And it's going to be one or the other. There's, there's no in between. So once you, process and thought about both sides of the fence, then it's, it's, it's easier to move forward. Appreciate that. So I want to ask you um, a bit of a personal question. Mm-hmm. What has your experience been like as a black male therapist mm-hmm. in the, um, the mental health arena? Yeah, I have to go after this one. Okay. Um, my experience, it's been, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I've, I've been excited every time I sit down and I'm ready to meet a client. Every time somebody reaches out to, con- to have a consultation with me before we start working together, it's exciting. It's just, I've met, I've met a lot of different black men, different men of color from different backgrounds different generations, ages, different walks of life. And it's the same thing is, is persistent is that 
we all just want to be heard. <laughs> That's it's really, really that simple. Like I just, it just need, I need to be heard, right? Either you're unpacking trauma or you're going through something in your daily life on your every single day that you need to talk to somebody about and somebody to help you unpack these things. We just want to be heard. And I just need a space. That's my space. So a lot of the stuff that I, that I'm doing is I've been teaching black men how to provide um, self care for each for themselves. Right. Talk about your problems. Every time something happens that makes you uncomfortable, address it. Don't ignore it. And to the point where something else happens and something else happened in the one day you've had enough. And your partner is like, wait, where is this coming from? But you've been building all of these notes in your head for a month now. Like, that's unfair to your partner and yourself. So all of that. And then just just the biggest thing that I've learned is that when a, when a man is ready for therapy, no matter the age, even if it's a child, a boy, you will know the difference as opposed to people doing the outreach for this person. So I've had a lot of partners and a lot of moms, a lot of friends, girlfriends reach out and I tell them, look, this is, this is where your journey ends because at this, at the next phase of this is your, the, the person has to reach out to me and schedule an appointment for us to, to have a consultation. You can't force anybody into therapy. You can encourage them. You can tell them all about the benefits. You can call a therapist for them. But after you've handed them the phone, you, there's nothing more you can do. So I always say, make sure that the person that you're, that you're reaching out to is ready and have them do the research, have them reach out because sometimes you buy in more when you're doing the legwork yourself. You're investing more into it. As opposed to me just handing you a piece of paper and saying, this person may help you go. You know? Right. Wow. That's deep, brother. Um, so I know you said you got to go. Where, where can people find you online mm-hmm. and on social media? Yes. So I'm on Instagram, um, therapy for us by us and therapy, the number four us by us. And my website is therapy for us by us.com. Um, therapy F O R us by us.com. And you can reach out to me through, I'm on psychology today as well. Um, you can message me through my snap, my, um, Instagram pretty accessible. Okay. Oh, you can get right, my well, book on Amazon. Sorry. Last, I wanted to plug that in there. Boys Guide to Growth <laughs> Mindset is on Amazon. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Okay, so I want to thank you for your time, for doing Absolutely. this with me, um, for what you do, for the community you service. Um, very much appreciate it. And uh, just wanted to, to always let you know that you are doing a, a, a fine job in what you're doing, and a lot of people will are, are benefiting from, from you and the way you're doing it. Thank you so much, man. It feels good to hear that from a fellow black man. Thank you.